the incomparable. Number 308. July 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to talk about uh, the TV season gone past. Now TV is uh, sort of a uh, 12-month-a-year thing now, but uh, we like to mark the end of the traditional TV season. We did an episode about all the many superhero shows that are out there, uh, but there's a lot more. Usually at the end of the Game of Thrones season, we talk about it, so we're going we're gonna to do that tonight. Uh, and we're also going to talk about a bunch of other shows that we liked over the last year, basically, nine months, year, uh, that uh, don't involve superheroes, basically. So joining me to talk about uh, more TV from the past year, things that we liked and watched. Maybe we didn't like them, but we still watched them. That's a compulsion that happens. Uh, are my fine panelists, Dan Morin. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you for turning away from TV temporarily just to talk on a podcast about TV. I literally finished a TV episode so that I could come on to talk about TV. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I, it's I appreciate your commitment. You're welcome. Aline Sims is also here. Hello. Hello. Turns out you were saying on Twitter you, you watched a lot more TV than you thought you did when you put the list together. Yeah, we. I was frantically trying to like I was putting my going through iTunes and like okay what if we purchased and I was like oh we, we've spent more money on TV than I thought we had so mm. uh, it's very exciting yeah you lose track a little bit and then you're reminded when it's time to sum it up and you realize yep. oh Erica Ensign's also with us hello hi yeah I've watched less TV than I thought but I think I came up with two shows that probably nobody else watched <laughs> all right but at least I watched something gosh darn it it's good. Um, Brian Hamilton is also here. Hi, Brian. I am also quite out of the loop when it comes to most TV, but I've got some unique things I don't think many people are watching enough to talk about on a podcast. So, hooray. Nice. Very nice. Uh, somebody who is the, the one person here who does not watch Game of Thrones, but he's here to talk about shows that aren't Game of Thrones. It's David Lore. Hi. I'm just happy to say that winter is here. <laughs> really inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I have a, a nice list. And uh, also always joining us for this uh, season wrap Game of Thrones business is uh, Mr. John Syracuse. Hi. I'm missing the last 10 minutes of the second to last episode of Agent Carter. Did you know there were, they became like two hour episodes at some point? It's really confusing and it's messing with my scheduling. But anyway, that's a show I watched. They, they, they burned that off, basically. It's sad that ABC didn't have a lot of commitment in it. All right, so uh, before we talk about Game of Thrones for the second part of the of the show and consult the show notes or the chapter markers if you want to jump to the uh, Game of Thrones part and not listen to other things, uh, but I, I want to talk about other shows that we watched that weren't covered in the superhero episode that we want to uh, that we want to bring up. And I wanted to throw one out there first, which is one of the uh, more notable shows of the last year. I, I got caught up on it after the Golden Globe win for its uh, creator and lead actress. Uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on the CW, I thought was a real find of this year. A lot of fun. A, a, a musical with a funny title that made turn a lot of people off, I think. But a very smart, funny, um, self-aware musical series, comedy, drama thing, uh, unlike many other shows that are out there. And uh, I got, finally got caught up. I watched all of them, and I thought it was great. I thought it was really great. Um, and I know that some of the some of you have also uh, seen it. John, you you were praising Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I saw you and Rachel Bloom actually had a little Twitter exchange, which was kind of yeah. exciting. 
Yeah, we're besties. Um, yeah, totally. I was I, I was charmed by it because I, I, I thought you said it's totally accurate. I was totally turned off by the title. I didn't think this this is not a show for me. I thought it just didn't seem like something I would be interested in. But I also knew nothing about it other than the title. So I heard enough people raving about it, and I watched an episode of two, and uh, I was surprised. I was surprised by the singing. I was surprised by how clever it was and how it was in, uh, a different twist on the sort of. It's not. It's not as cynical, I think, as most comedies are and i'm not even like a comedy sitcom kind of person um as it wore on uh it's like it's a lot of the more of the same so the charm kind of wears off because a lot of it is the the novelty of that but i don't think the show actually gets any worse i think it's just oh it's going to be this and it's going to be you know (laughs) episode after episode of this um but i still like it i still enjoy it and i will keep watching it it's musical theater on tv basically (laughs) so of course i like it um, and yeah, it's, it's uneven for the first two episodes, three episodes, but it, it finds its footing a lot quicker than shows like Cougar Town, which also had a really unfortunate title and turned into a pretty decent show. Yeah. I was going to throw out Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 with Kristen Ritter yep. as another example of a show that I literally didn't watch because I didn't, I was, the, I looked at the title. I'm like, yeah, I, I, that's not for me. And I actually thought that was going to be the premise of this show too. And it's like, it turns out these premise, these titles can like they're notable and yet they can shoot down their show yeah which is too bad yeah but it's it's charming i mean the just the videos i've i've sent people to the videos of the songs just to say this is what you could see weekly <laughs> and you know you've got rachel bloom and adam schlesinger of fountains of wayne writing music and, yeah and not just in one style i mean they're hitting uh, you know decades of of styles here and nailing pretty much every one of them, which, you know, it, it takes it takes cojones to do a fake Music Man song and do it that well. I um, I'm impressed by the fact that the there are moments where I, I see where they're going in terms of the cliches. And then I'm surprised because I just assume they're falling into the cliches that they don't. I, I yes. like the fact that the object of of uh, of her affection, uh, Josh, is not, I would say, a character that you see a lot on television in that he is not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's he's a but he's a nice, like a genuinely nice guy. And I think it's an interesting combination that usually in a soapy kind of story, that guy is uh, either just a super amazing dreamboat or he's a cad. And this guy is not either of those things. He's just a dude who uh, is per is very nice. Um, but not necessarily uh, close to as smart as uh, Rachel Bloom's character is. So um, I thought that was interesting. I, my frustration with the show was probably that I felt like, uh, again, th- that they set up a lot of things that seemed fairly obvious as directions they were going in and then seemed over the course of the season to not be sure whether they wanted to steer into the slide or away from the slide. Like, do we go against what we set up or do we go with what we set up? And in the um, the relationships of the various characters over the course of the season, that was the part where I thought it was uh, kind of strange, where it's like, I see in for episode one, it's like, I see what's going to happen. She's going to move to California and because uh, that's the premise of the show. A woman uh, who's a lawyer in New York and is very unhappy moves to California where her ex-boyfriend from camp lives. And uh, there are lots of songs. And she tries to pretend that she's not a stalker, which she kind of is. Um, <laughs> but it's very clear from the beginning that she's going to end up with the cynical bartender and not the dream boy because that can't be real. And throughout the season, it feels like not like a clever, will, what, what is my expectation? 
information about this relationship, but more like they can't decide whether they're going to go with the one guy or the other guy or what. And that that part, I, I, I did feel like almost like the writers just didn't know what they wanted to do. But it's a it's a relatively minor quibble. Um, there's a whole episode where they're trapped on a party bus, and it is the least <laughs> exciting party bus ever as they go to the beach. Uh, yeah, it's it's I, I highly recommend it. It's available on streaming now. I think just just went up on uh, for streaming on Netflix, maybe. So yep. mm-hmm. people should yep. check it out. To your point, David, uh, I know nothing about this show, but I've seen Settle For Me, uh, what, 10, 15 times just because the song oh, is so yeah. fantastic. And I thought, oh, OK, yeah, this is a uh, you know sitcom and they do a cute little musical scene here. I had no idea it was a musical until just now. So thanks for selling me on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a song, Look Up Cold Shower, which is basically You Got Trouble from The Music Man. Uh, there is a song that I, I know entirely too too many women have told me this is their life, uh, a song called Heavy, Heavy Boobs. Heavy Boobs, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, that's a great song. That's an amazing you know, song. It's And it's catchy as hell. Oh, oh God, God, yes. Yeah. Um, no, it, it is. There, there are like two, at least, I, I, basically there are two musical numbers every episode. And it's an hour yeah. long show, which every time I watch it, I think it's going to be a half hour because it's kind of a comedy, <laughs> but it's it's not. It's a hour long show. So. But it's breezy, and and on Monday nights it was a nice pairing with Jane the Virgin. It was yes, a, not the same kind of whimsy, but two shows that that sort of hit that sort of perfect level of whimsy and just go with it. I kind of wish that there were more songs in it. Like I may have been greedy, and maybe it's kind of like the budget <laughs> is showing because it's like it's hard yeah. to come up with even two original it. songs per episode. And they just don't have the time or money to do more than that. But because they are so good, it's like, I wish the whole show was like this and had just, you know, like an actual musical. I mean, you have like brief, brief moments of non-music in between just to set up the next musical number. But instead, there's lots of regular TV show in there. And the regular TV show is, like Jason said, kind of silly and a lot of will they, won't they. Uh, But I think it's nice in that all of the characters are messed up in some way, not in a Seinfeld way where everybody is just a terrible person, but (laughs) that everybody, even the nice guy, Josh, is not like OG perfect nice guy. Like everybody has their hangups. Everybody has their issues. Nobody is purely good. Nobody is purely bad, which I think helps them with the the thing they have to do to keep these balls in the air. You can't have it resolved because then the show is over. Um, it helps you understand why might someone be indecisive and why might people not be able to find each other because everybody's messed up in some way in this show. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of a reverse, uh, like uh, some of the other shows that we'll talk about later, like a reverse of the typical thing where. Um, it's not a show for women, but it's a show with actual women characters, which is now sort of in the current context coded as a women's show. Uh, and then the men are the love interests. And it's like nice to see the love interest actually be real characters instead of just cardboard cutouts. Like Josh is a person who has good things and bad things about him. And what's his name? Bartendery guy it has bad things about him, but is also a nice guy on top of that. And instead of them just being defined by their hair color or whatever, um, like if you just... If you just mentally gender swap this whole show, it becomes a lot more conventional, but it's not. It's actually the other way around. Um, and it's and it's good for for a silly musical comedy thing to have characters that are, you know, obviously silly, but imbued with a tiny bit of humanity, both good and bad. Um, it's it's pretty novel. It's it's refreshing. And and science fiction fans might know Rachel Bloom before this for a song she wrote about Ray Bradbury. Yes, that was nominated for a Hugo Award. The other thing I wanted to say was that uh, there's a there's a, there's some interesting 
relationship dynamics. There's a, a strong uh, relationship between Rachel Bloom's character and her uh, buddy uh, who works at the uh, at the law firm that I think is an interesting and and for television more unconventional relationship of two women who are who are uh, our best pals and become kind of best pals on the spot and there's a weirdness in their relationship but it's actually kind of great and the uh, the guy who runs the law firm is a fantastic character who discovers that he's bisexual about halfway through and there is a song about that too oh yes there is and uh it's great it's so great so anyway it's a it's a good show highly recommended uh, what else? Anybody else want to throw out some uh, a show that they've been liking the last year that they want to talk about a little bit? In the same vein as uh, what I gather from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, I'm really enjoying Younger, which is uh, another show that you mm-hmm. would not expect from uh, something like TV Land. But it's a really great show in terms of uh, real characters that are doing real things and uh, actually, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel as fake as something like Seinfeld. It's it's nice to see uh, TV land evolving beyond hot in Cleveland. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with hot in Cleveland, but but they're aiming at a broader demographic. They're not aiming at, you know, 18 to 34. They're interested in shows about human beings, which is kind of a, a shift for them. Hmm. So I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes. But but younger is like the first of the new the new wave of TV land shows. Mm hmm. Aline, what about you? Some uh, is there a show out there that you that you've been watching that you've? Uh... This is not a draft, by the way. I just am trying to draw people out. <laughs> Nobody wins. There are no winners here. We're all winners. We yeah, all that's it. We're all winners. They're all or losers. Yeah, all winners around here. Uh, Steven Universe. Steven Universe is maybe my favorite show ever at this point. Um, <laughs> it's a cartoon. It's a Cartoon Network cartoon. Um, it's goofy. Uh, but it's 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 so cute and heartfelt and science fictiony and fantasy all at the same time. Um, and it has really strong pro LGBTQ um, plus themes. Um, and it's really positive in a way that um, especially around those types of themes, like I feel like, you know, we get uh, things are getting better, definitely. But but we talk about the LGBTQ community and people who belong in that community become punchlines oftentimes. And it's totally and completely not in Steven Universe. Um, it's got songs. So so speaking of musicals, um, there are not every episode, but but a lot of episodes have songs, a lot of ukulele. Um, and it's just it's it's a neat ride and they're easy to watch they're you know like 11 minute episodes um so if you buy them on and itunes you get you know two episodes per dollar whatever three dollars <laughs> or however much it is um so yes steven universe super super love it um my computer is named garnet after one of the characters <laughs> um it's it's just it's it's wonderful it's beautiful I have not watched much anime, but from what I gather about the anime scene and my friends who are also into Steven Universe and anime, um, the fact that the characters grow in the way that they do after a very light season one into seasons two and three where we are now, uh, things have gotten very heavy and play on expectations that have been ex- established in uh, the first season that 
blows my mind in a way that I have not seen before, and I gather that's the way that a lot of anime works. You can tell that uh, Rebecca Sugar and her crew are super, super into anime. And another point about these songs that you mentioned, Aline, they're not every episode. It's It doesn't feel like a shtick to me that they sing. And again, not to say that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is, but I would not call Steven Universe a musical, no. just no. a cartoon show where people happen to sing whenever they feel like it, which is a really nice change of pace where you don't always expect a song, but when it comes, you don't feel like, I feel a song coming on. You feel like it's warranted and that whatever they have to say is better said sung. I love it. Oh, I love it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by the Zombies Run Virtual Race. Now, running helps you get fit, but it can be really boring I get so bored by running. I need things to focus my mind. This is a virtual race that makes running fun. Wherever you are, anywhere in the world, you can head out to run 5 or 10 kilometers with your headphones in. As you run, the app immerses you in a thrilling audio story that's specially designed to match the distance you're running. You'll hear zombies close on your heels. You'll break into a vault that's vital to the survival of humanity. You'll run further and faster than you ever thought you could, because with the Zombies Run Virtual Race, you're not just running around the park. You're running to save the world. Your entry gets you a thrilling audio adventure series that takes you from the start of your training right to the end of your race. You'll also get a Prospect Technical Running Tee, a Finisher's Medal, and a bunch of other great gear. All of it costs $55. It's way cheaper and more fun than a gym membership. Go to zombiesvirtualrace.com and use coupon code INCOMPARABLE. You'll get $5 off of your entry. You can run anywhere in the world. It happens in the fall. So sign up now, start training, and get ready to run away, not with, away from zombies. It's based on the Zombies Run app, which has more than 3 million different players, and more than 7,000 people have run in a virtual race on Zombies Run, and the satisfaction rate is 99%. People love doing it, so give it a try, zombiesvirtualrace.com, and use coupon code INCOMPARABLE. Thank you to Zombies Run Virtual Race for sponsoring The Incomparable. What else, uh, Dan? Do you got anything that you wanted to throw out there? Uh well, I think this was a year that started for me with a couple other uh, sitcoms that I actually got to enjoy, which were mostly canceled, which was kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, but on Fox, I was watching uh, Grandfathered and The Grinder, yes. which were actually ended up being a pair of uh, pretty good sitcoms. Uh, the Grinder, I feel like the fundamental problem of The Grinder was that it was a f- great premise. It had some great cast. There was no way in hell it was going to be extensible past a first season. Um, and they had some trouble getting the rest of the cast into that. But some of the premises of that show, which is essentially the idea being Rob Lowe is a, an actor who has played a super famous like lawyer on a lawyer TV show, comes back to his hometown in Idaho where his brother, played by Fred Savage, uh, and let's just applaud that casting there for a moment, um, <laughs> is a real lawyer and decides, I've basically been a super famous TV lawyer for several years. I can totally be a real lawyer. Um, and some of the most brilliant parts of that were interspersing clips from the show that he's on, which is actually, which is also called The Grinder, <laughs> um, and dealing with sort of like just bizarre, over-the-top, bits of this you know like that are kind of all tropes and references to all these legal like ridiculous legal dramas um and they developed a very strong supporting cast um there were some really good gags going on throughout the season i actually won't spoil the last the the last episode of it but i think it does a great (laughs) job of sort of bringing the whole thing all the way around um and and there's a particularly brilliant arc 
in the middle of the season or so with Timothy Oliphant, who comes on and basically <laughs> plays the guy they've cast to replace him, like his long-lost brother on the new version of the show they're rebooting. <laughs> and he has it's some like, serious comedic chops in there. And he, and he plays Timothy Oliphant. Yes, he plays himself playing, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, as the as the person cast to replace Rob Lowe's character. Um, <laughs> it is incredibly meta. The only things that really bugged me about it were that I felt so bad for the Fred Savage character. Because, like, we all know he's sane and everybody else kind of buys into the, you know, Rob Lowe's reality distortion field. And you're all just, you just spend a lot of time going like, what? why aren't you paying more attention to the sane, reasonable guy? Um, but some very strong supporting work uh, from a lot of the characters, especially the kids, uh, Fred Savage's, the, the actors who play his kids are pretty great. Um, and it's definitely kind of addictive in terms of you'll find yourself saying something like Rob Lowe always constantly has these catchphrases that make mm. no sense. And like, people will say like, well, you know, oh, we can't, we can't sue this guy. And he'll just be like, but what if we could? And he'll be like, that doesn't mean anything. But he'll just keep rolling with it. Um, it's, it's entertaining. Uh, grandfathered, I really liked as well, which was John Stamos who plays sort of, you know, He's he's turning 50 and he's a restaurateur in L.A. and he's like really, you know, bachelor. He's got a whole life together and then discovers that this, you know, woman that he had a relationship with when he was much younger uh, had a kid who has now grown up and is now has a kid of his own. So he is, in fact, a grandfather. Um, and it ended up being a really sweet, heartfelt show that was ably straddled that line of like, it just delivered on all sort of like, you know, a really solid sitcom premise that wasn't overworn, was uh, was funny and managed to be touching and sweet at the same time. Um, and some great, fantastic performances there, especially from Paget Brewster and um, uh, uh, Ravi Patel. Um, and a lot of other great sort of supporting characters there. And, and you know, John Stamos, again, once again, great casting. You find a role that John Stamos was basically born to play, which is the basic totally self-absorbed, but also clearly like trying to deny that he is turning 50. Um, so, yeah, I, I think both of those were, were great. If I had had the uh, if I had been called up by the Fox president and asked which one to save, I probably would have picked grandfathered if only because I feel like there was more potential for growth in there. Um, but, you know, at one season each, I feel like there was a there's a pretty solid show that you could go watch and, and enjoy and have a good time with. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly going to get the grinder on DVD just because it was so enjoyable. But exactly, I don't, I don't see where it is in season three or season four. But as a single season, it's going to be one of those like classic one season shows. I think the um, if nothing else, worth it for the episodes also where Jason Alexander plays the basically the executive producer of the show within a show who tries to lure Rob Lowe back. <laughs> and there is a fantastic scene where they're saying, well, you know, well, the network can't, network loved it and the ratings, you know, all this stuff. But none of that's really important. We both know what really matters. And Rob Lowe nods knowingly and says what the fans are saying on Twitter. <laughs> so if you want the, yeah, the uh, wish fulfillment aspect of all people paying attention to what the rest of us silly people think of these shows, um, it does a nice job of sort of satirizing a lot of that. 
Erica, do you have anything or are you just here to talk about swords and dragons? Well, you know, I thought I was just here to talk about swords and dragons, but then I, I realized that there were a couple things that I had watched. They just ended longer ago, <laughs> long enough ago that my brain had forgotten about them. I watched the last season of The Good Wife, which um, I know Scott watches, but he's not here to talk about he's it not. with me again, <laughs> Scott. Um, but I... Uh, I enjoyed most of the season. I th- This is a show I started watching with season five and never felt the need to go back and watch anything earlier. So I've really been enjoying it since season five. And there has been a subplot that has uh, popped up for the last couple seasons with the NSA tapping Alicia's, the main character's phone and listening in on her life and basically treating it like a soap opera, which is very meta because, you know, that's that's what we the audience are doing, treating it like a soap opera and just kind of watching and listening in. And, uh, and that was fun. And that that popped up again and um except for the episode that took place in canada was very fun um yeah they, they, they <laughs> please please do not have american actors try to do canadian accents just don't i, I feel very strongly about mm. this now that i live here yeah it's it's just all kinds of wrong um the last the very last episode I don't really know how most people felt about it because I didn't take to Twitter and and look around and find out. I myself was not particularly a fan. I think maybe it worked better if you'd been watching the show from the very beginning because the last scene sort of mirrors the their very first scene. And I read about it afterwards and and it makes sense and I <clears throat> I can understand it, but it was one of those endings that wasn't much of an ending. I mean, it left it left things very open-ended. Things, you know, there's there's a great big love story kind of at the center of the last couple of seasons. Uh, they years ago killed off the uh, the main love interest, which was apparently a big deal. That was actually what got me to start watching the show. I was like, ooh, that's a bold move. I want to want to see what what the rest of this show is like. And I completely fell for the guy that she also fell for later on. And there's no official resolution to what happens with him and. I I like a beginning, a middle, and, the, and an end, gosh darn it, and there was no no real end. I don't want open-endedness at the ends of my, my series when that happens, so I was a little bit sad, uh, sad with that. So in my head canon, that last episode never happened, and it, it worked out a very, very different way in my mind. And the other show that I watched, I'm not actually even sure that I am completely caught up on it, but watched most of season two of Stitchers, which is a show on Freeform, which I gather is what ABC Family turned into. Yes. And it's, it is about what you would expect from a science fiction show on ABC Family, now Freeform. Uh, it has, it has the budget that you would expect for a show like that. They are clearly not hiring like the most first rate writers in the world. Um, they're, they're people who I think, you know, some of them may have a future, but they need to work on making their characters believable and in many cases likable even for the main characters but even so it has charmed me enough to keep watching it is a ridiculous premise um where the the main character who is a a skinny blonde white girl uh has to get into this like tight black leather looking cat suit thing and douse herself in a pool of water Mm -hmm. in order to dip into people's uh dead people's memories to solve crimes but of course it's not just to solve crimes there's this mysterious backstory with a government agency that's all shadowy and there's stuff going on with her father who's alive or maybe not and people keep (laughs) dying and it's it is it is completely ridiculous i'm not i'm not going to strongly recommend that people go and check it out but if you're looking for something that's just kind of like mind candy and easy to watch and 
if you really want to see a show sort of pick itself up off the ground and, and improve, uh, yeah, start at the first season and then get into the second <laughs> season because it's so much better. Um, yeah, so Stitchers. It's it's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous in, in a fun way for me anyway. She has to put on the leather cat suit to solve crimes. So, you know. Hey, they upgraded it for season two. It now has a zipper. <laughs> nice. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. It's the oh. freeform kicked in for the zipper budget. It's nice. Oh, jeez. And of course, she keeps it like way too low. I'm like, oh, come on, show. You're, you're <laughs> ridiculous. Of course she does. That's to get the memories in there. That's. I'm sure that's. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's it. She breathes through her skin. Aline, uh, what uh, what other shows do you want to mention before we move along? Um, okay, so the last season of Downton Abbey. Um, Yay. 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 Um, I've been watching The 100. It's a show that I like and I hate at the same time. Um, But what I really like about it is that uh, for the most part, the female characters, the women in the show have agency and are calling the shots, which is unusual for kind of a dystopian sci-fi type show. Um, I don't know. I know John's been watching it, too. I don't know if he has things to say. I I think it's an interesting show because uh, setting aside the end of the world stuff that I always love. Um, it's kind of YA. I don't know if Aline, you would categorize it that way, but like, I think about it, the yeah. people are, even though the actors all look like they're in their mid twenties, they're supposed to be like under 18. That's why they were in the, the jail or whatever in the, in the beginning of, you know, they're all supposed to be teenagers and the show loves to sideline the adults. Like in theory, like the, the premise is, you know, they separate the teens from the adults and it's like, okay, well the teens are on their own. It's like Lord of the flies, but then the, you know, well, spoiler alert, uh, then the, then the teens and adults are together in the later part of the show but the teens are still kind of in charge so it's like totally ya where you imagine the grown-ups is they're not a bunch of doofuses like they're they're characters and they're smart and they're competent and everything too but to a degree that is a little bit unrealistic unless you consider the whole thing to be ya uh the kids are running the show and then the other aspect uh like Elaine said is the, the the women in the show it's it's basically just parody or maybe just barely parody, but it comes off in the in the in the environment that uh, this is being released into as startling in how, you know, how can the main characters of a show be women? Isn't that impossible? Like, shouldn't the main character of every single show be men? And this show, for all its, you know, sort of silly, uh, you know, uh, YA high school atmosphere in a grim situation uh, shows that you can actually have one show on television where women are the main characters and the world doesn't end. And so I find that now, although the world actually did end, but that was prior to the show. (laughs) Prior to the beginning of the show, it's fine. Post-world ending. Uh, Yeah, and there's also a positive portrayal of LGBTQ relationships in that too, um, which is another thing I appreciate about it. But also, of course, the infamous uh, killing of a a character that led to a a whole feeling of outrage in uh, the fan community and uh, I think a frank discussion on the internet uh, by the creators and TV critics and I think a lot of people learned a lot and I I think maybe a lot of writers in the TV business maybe realized that there's a cliche that they didn't realize was a cliche because they weren't paying attention to it so um, there's a lot of conversation about probably not what the producers of the 100 wanted to talk about which was how they wrote out a character who was because the actor was going to a be a regular on a different show but that was definitely a big part of the story of the hundred this year and that's why diverse writing rooms matter yep this edition of the incomparable is brought to you by like splash that's like splash one word it's your one-stop app for all of your interests movies restaurants songs books podcast apps and more and they all live together in one beautiful app 
You may feel like you've got too many apps on your phone, too much to deal with. If you like movies or restaurants or books or songs, you end up with a, an app for each one, maybe more than one. You end up with, what, a couple dozen apps to explore? Like Splash solves this problem by linking you to all your favorite apps and services directly rather than having to open the different apps. And it gets better. With a few taps, you can explore collections of favorite movies, songs, books, apps created by your friends or other users who share your interests. And here's another feature that they offer. Uh, you, If you forgot about a TV show, let's say, like one of the ones that we've just recommended here, or maybe a restaurant, something like that, happens all the time, you can bookmark movies, songs, books, apps, TV shows, pretty much anything you fancy using the app. It's all organized into categories and connected to your favorite apps and services. It's a great sort of like super bookmarking feature. So check it out. Like Splash is on the App Store. You can click the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash get like Splash, B-I-T dot L-Y slash G-E-T-L-I-K-E-S-P-L-A-S-H. Like Splash, one app for all your interests. Avoid app clutter. Get Like Splash. Thanks to Like Splash for sponsoring The Incomparable. The other big one I want to mention is iZombie. Like I watched The Walking Dead and, you know, things that everybody else watches too. But I love iZombie. I learned about the premise of the show and was like, this is totally not for me. It's <laughs> like just it's just not for me. And then when it came to uh, Netflix, um, my friend Steve Lubitz was like, no, you really need to watch this show. And I did. And I am hooked. I like it. It's, you know, zombies um, who remain uh, human unless they are starved for too long and there becomes like this the, this whole like brain um, I don't know <laughs> brain black market, black market. Yeah. Uh, yeah so it's it's I don't know it's it's clever and quirky kind of the way that Brian Fuller's shows can be but it's not by Brian <laughs> Fuller um, and it's um, I don't know I just really really enjoyed I think it's fun and it's it's also smart so I appreciate that I'm so glad to hear that it stays good I have only seen the first season so far and oh. I just absolutely adored it so I just haven't f- been able to find the next the, <laughs> the rest of it Canada's sec- hard sometimes the second season is is also really quite good and it wins yeah. my award this year for um, shows which you can't really like there's a lot of shows it kind of is is dressed as a procedural right because it's kind of dressed as like a procedural cop drama except there's a zombie helping him solve crimes and that's all well and good but as the show goes along and you realize well they're laying down all these different weird pieces and as you realize the procedural stuff starts shifting to the back and the sort of ongoing plot shifts to the front and i found just it won my award for i have no idea where this is going like, there are a lot of shows that are sort of telegraphed, I feel like, and it's like, okay, yeah, these people are going to run to these people. And they show no compunction about being like, well, what is this, like, what is crazy, terrible things that we can do to these people? Let's throw these people together and see what happens. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is going on right now. What is happening? Um, and I think it's it's fantastic. A great, great cast. Uh, I will say one of my favorite bits from this season involves a character who turns out is very, very angry at George R.R. R. Martin for not finishing his mm-hmm. books faster <laughs> and one of the best deliveries of life from a character who you otherwise would not expect that to come from. Uh, and also, I think, a great job with uh, one of my favorite characters in that show, who is a, a person that could have come off as very two-dimensional, is Major, who is the main character's ex-fiance. And he feel like he could have just gotten relegated to this kind of dull... Like, oh, he's the love interest role. 
But by the end of the first season, they've taken some really, really interesting like directions with his character. And that actor is fantastic. He's just delivery yeah. is so good. He's so charming and like mild mannered. Like everybody in that show is is great. Um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, Rose McIver who plays the lead too. She's fantastic, and it's just a great cast. Rob Thomas, who who created, it, is the same guy who created Veronica Mars, and that really shows if you've watched yeah. both series. <laughs> but it's it's good. I highly I highly second that. And also, Rob Thomas from Matchbox Twenty <laughs> makes an appearance at the end of season two, <laughs> which, oh, is which is hilarious. They do it so well; it's really so funny. Good. It's so funny. Yeah, if you're not watching that, then I don't even know why you're here. Go hang up and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye, guys. Yeah, <laughs> John. Anything you want to mention? Uh, the only ones I had on my list, is, I think, is uh, The Walking Dead, which I still enjoy. I know a lot of people are tired of it. I am not tired of it. They still, I'm still interested. The characters that I come to know and love, I'm still interested in what happens to them, and they're still able to introduce new characters that I like. Uh, was the leftovers? Did I already do that on the last podcast about TV? I think we might have talked about it. I, I finally have gone through the first season. I haven't watched the second season yet, but I thought I thought that that was a very quietly brilliant show, actually. Yeah, the second season I really liked. I liked it more than the first season, and I, and I actually liked the first season as well. So I feel like that show is—I don't know where it can go from here. I don't—I can't imagine season three being better. But I'm really glad that I saw the first two seasons of that. I'm really glad it wasn't canceled. And there's only one the more final, season. Yeah, yeah. Is there? Is that what yeah. they said? Yeah, third season is the last season. Uh, all right. Well, I guess they can do something spectacular for the big finish, or they can just blow it. We'll see. Um, and then the other one is uh, the Americans, which I think is sort of. Uh, at the ragged edges of its premise at this point. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, the premise is silly to begin with, and a lot of things in that show are silly if you think about them for more than two seconds, but now they're really running out of uh, runway for this show. But uh, it's been pretty good all the way through. I, I don't quite understand why people rave about it as much as they do. I think it's good. I don't have any bad things to say about it, but I'm not bowled over like I was by, you know, like the, the marquee programs that people throw this up. They're like, oh, it's as good as, you know, Breaking Bad or The Wire or The Sopranos. And it's not in that tier for me, but it's still a really good show. Um, and it's an interesting premise. And I like most of the actors. And it. and they've announced it's going to be two more seasons and then it's done. Yeah. So it has a finite ending in sight. I feel like it only has one season of plot left. Two more seasons? Maybe. Uh. Maybe. I think they're shorter seasons, though. I think it's like the Breaking Bad trend. That's I'm I'm watching the first season of that right now, and it is great. I'm enjoying it a lot. So I'm just, you know, time shifted. Hello from 2011. <laughs> okay, Brian, anything that you want to uh, throw out there? Uh, we've talked a lot about The Expanse on the TV feed of The Incomparable, but it learned its lessons from Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones itself learned those same lessons this season, so good for that. Uh, I'd like to throw out Documentary Now, uh, which is on IFC. Bill Hader and Fred Armisen make silly documentary parodies. They're really detailed. They're really uh, subtly funny. They're things from uh, Grey Gardens to The Thin Blue Line to rock documentaries. I had a ton of fun going through that this year. Uh, and that's all on Netflix now. It is uh, all on Netflix, yes. Don't make the mistake I made and uh, think that there's only six episodes when there's a, a second part to the Blue Jean Committee uh, episode. Uh, I'd like to throw out a special uh, mention to Jeopardy. Uh, I'm very excited to see Buzzy Cohen and Hunter Appler uh, <laughs> face off in next year's Tournament of Champions. Uh, this you, past month has been 74? fantastic. <laughs> no, it's Glenn. It's really Glenn. It's Glenn wearing a Brian mask. Uh 
Scary. I'd also like to uh, throw a bone to whoever runs the Joy of Painting YouTube account. Uh, thanks for helping me sleep. Uh, that's technically TV, right? <laughs> sure. Um, great. Mm-hmm. Drop in a happy Public access. tree. Right 700 Club. Uh, <laughs> squirrel. Happy little squirrel right. playing with his nuts. I like the guy who plays the test pattern. He's great. Thanks for being there at 2 a.m. Um, David, what do you have? Uh, well, if this were a draft, I'd be in pretty good shape. I mean, I've crossed a couple of things off, like Documentary Now and The Expanse, and one that I know is on your list. Um, but I've got Angie Tribeca, which is uh, on TBS. It's just rock stupid, but it plays rock stupid really well. If if you like Airplane, if you like Police Squad, and, and especially if you like Police Squad more than you liked The Naked Gun, this is the show you've been waiting for. Um, it manages to hit that that tone pretty perfectly. Um, then uh, let's see the second season of Fargo, which I thought was as good as the first maybe. And I really liked the first, um, full frontal also on TBS mm. has become a weekly thing for me along with last week tonight. Um, veep, which, uh, people were worried about because Armando Iannucci was leaving the show. How can you do it without Armando Iannucci? But not only did they maintain it, they sort of went beyond. They've, they've, they've ended in a really interesting place. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's not where you think it's going, which is kind of cool. Um, the Carmichael Show, the second season of that was very entertaining. Uh, it's a throwback to the, the Norman Lear style of issue-oriented comedy, but I really liked it. Uh, Life in Pieces, a sitcom on CBS that is a pleasant way to pass the time. It takes, it kind of does the modern family format of an extended family, but instead of having a, you know, trying to fit everybody into every story, they do short stories in each half hour. So it's, it's almost like it's designed to be put on YouTube in little viral bites, which is kind of interesting to see how they're constructing that. And sometimes they do tie them all together nicely, but, um, documentary now I'll just cross that off. Uh, Louis CK's Horace and Pete, which is not quite a comedy and it's not quite a drama and it's not quite TV cause it's kind of like live theater. Uh, so it's again, a, a very much a throwback. Uh, it is very funny at times. It is harrowing at times. Um, so it's, it's, it's not a ride for the easily disturbed, but man, it's good. Uh, it could have used a sharper hand in editing down the scripts, but you know, I'll, I'll give it a pass because you don't see that on TV a lot. And uh, then I'll, I'll finish off with two shows on the Sundance Channel, of all things. Uh, one that's a co-production with Australia and New Zealand called Clever Man, which is a, a science fiction-y retelling of Aboriginal mythology in the present day in a sort of a superhero context. It's really fascinating. Uh, the first episode is a little confusing. Stick with it. There are only six so far. I don't know if they're going to do more, but it's, it's really different. I really liked it. And, uh, a, a show called Hap and Leonard, which is based on a series of books by Joe R. Lansdale, uh, set down in the deep South with uh, crime. If, if you miss justified, this could scratch that itch. And, uh, oh, and I guess uh, the, the last thing that's been taking up my time in the last few weeks, the match game. Um, I hate to admit it, they got it right. 
even even with Alec Baldwin, they got it right. It feels like <laughs> the 1970s match game, and and it's on at 10 p.m. for a good reason. It is it is at least as smutty as the original. So good for that. Which was on at three three p.m. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> go figure. After school, we can um, watch it. But yeah, it, it it it's the first they've they've tried to revive it multiple times. It's the first one that catches the tone and the ease and the wit of of the original. All right, Dan, uh, what else do you have? Uh, all right, well, I've got a bit of a list too, so I'll just run through these. Um, the uh, USA show Suits, which is about to enter its sixth season, they took a really sharp left turn and finally sort of dropped the hammer on the premise, uh, which was interesting um i'm curious to see how they deal with that since it will change the format of the show pretty largely we'll see if they stick with it um but i've enjoyed that show quite a bit it's got a really good cast um i've got a british try a british cop trifecta uh third season i just watched third season of line of duty which is a really intense sort of internal affairs style british show there are three seasons each of them sort of focuses on slightly different cases of investigating, you know, an incident. Uh, and then there's a larger theme running through it about sort of corrupt cops. Um, it is it is one of those magnetic edge-of-your-seat style shows. Uh, I mean, only six episodes a season, too, so it's pretty easy to sort of blaze through. Uh, Endeavor, just finished the third season of that. Yes. That's Young Inspector Morse. Um, f- really well done, period. Uh, Oxford drama in the 60s. Uh, just really a lot of fun, and the they're, those are longer episodes. There's only like four in a season, but they're an hour and a half, so they're more like watching little mini movies. Um, but they are they are great if you like British detective drama. Uh, Ripper Street. Um, I finally managed to find the fourth season, um, which is really also good. I've enjoyed that show a lot going through Matthew McFadden and uh, Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones, who plays Braun, plays the sergeant in this one, which is a Victorian-era police uh, procedural. Um, The third season of that, which aired last year or two years ago, was really good and had sort of a really interesting overarching plot, and they sort of continue the fallout from that in this most recent season. Um, uh, shows that I haven't seen all of, but I am, I am watching, uh, Silicon Valley. I've really enjoyed what I've seen in the third season. I just haven't had time to finish it yet, but the uh, addition, especially of, uh, Stephen Toblowski in early on in the season was great. Um, and that show is when it's, when it's good, man, is it good? Uh, it, they have some really sharp satire and when it's, you know, Mike judge, it's really Mike judge. Um, <laughs> And I just finished the first season. My show I was watching right before I got on here was uh, the first season of Halt and Catch Fire, um, which I just finished, which is a really interesting show that maybe tries to be Mad Men a little too hard. um, But some of it, it is kind of fun to watch a show where it's like, oh, wait, this is all computer history. I know about all this stuff. Um, And I, I do enjoy Lee Pace, even if he is a little bit over the top on this show. Um, I know Jason really likes You're the Worst, and he got me uh, yeah. The mm-hmm. second season of that show is fantastic. It really is. And probably, yeah. I feel like, has one of the better depictions of dealing with like depression mm-hmm. of, of anything, certainly, that I've seen. Um, and Maybe the just, best. Yeah, it's really good. That's a really good show, and it is it is seriously underrated. Um, and the, just the, the leads, I personally, my favorite is, um, 
Oh, now I'm going to blank. What's the name of his roommate? Oh, Edgar. Edgar, yes. Edgar and um, and the, the best friend of the main character. Lindsay, yeah. Lindsay, yes. The supporting characters in that show... Yeah, uh, you know what can you say about a show where the supporting characters are as good? Oh, they really as are the main characters. Kether Donahue is spectacularly good as Lindsay. Spectacularly good. Yes, yeah, she's really good. <laughs> I even enjoy these stupid, like the stupid other side characters, um, like the married couple, mm-hmm. and it's just it's so well written and yeah. so good. I just I watched the heck out of that. It's um, it's a great show. It's it's and it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's fun to show. It's really weird because that was a show that I got recommended by multiple angles, including you, Jason, and then my parents liked it. I was like, I don't really want to think too hard about my parents. <laughs> no. <watching this> show. <laughs> um, but and then the last couple things I had Star Wars Rebels, and uh, I'm just gonna plug it because I got to. For a show that's 11 season in, this season of Supernatural was surprisingly <laughs> good. I was really getting to the point of being like, man, I don't know how much they can keep doing this. They did a really good season this year. And part of it was going back to stuff that they sort of left up in the air like like five or six years ago. And Dan, do you want a hug? <laughs> no, I'm okay. It was a good show, I have to say. I, I was surprised. I, I've just sort of been sleepwalking through a lot of the recent seasons because I felt like, man, I am in this deep. But you know what? They did full credit for them finding a way to make it sort of fresh and and uh, still having reasons for me to invest 11 seasons in. And guess what? They got a 12th, so I guess I'm still going. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Stockholm Syndrome. Still Woo-hoo. going. <laughs> I got no problems. I can handle your mockery. It's cool. <laughs> what mockery? No, we're being nice. I'm, I'm confident in my... I'm, I'm comfortable where I am right now. We've only been mocking you watching Supernatural for like five years. It's probably I know. Really I mean, no time. <laughs> I mean, if you'd made it through the first season, we could talk. We could have know, a little chat. I know. I resigned to it never being something that ever gets discussed on the main show. <laughs> well, we discussed it now. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> no, I monologued about it. This is different. I just can't get... Again, I can't get past season one. I just... I've tried. I can't get past Jared Padalecki. <laughs> yeah. Season one is season one is rough, uh, and yeah, after seasons like two through five, if you do watch those, those are great. I would stop honestly there. I would not if were I starting today. I would not follow myself all the way down this dark path. But <laughs> but season five has one of the best. That like arc basically through season five is one of the best constructed. I'll put that up against uh, almost anything. It's just it's a really solid. Uh, development of these characters and an overarching plot that is basically coherent from hmm. like first hmm. episode to the end of the fifth season and they should have just left it there but they kept going so oh well <laughs> and they and do seven more seasons after that right? hey they did i mean they this is a show they hit 200th episode and did it as a basically as a high school musical about itself yeah <laughs> which was crazy but really well done <laughs> I'll, I'll mention a couple too uh master of none aziz ansari's comedy on netflix is really great. It was on my list. Very you, sh- good. you should watch it. It's really great. And since Dan mentioned you're the worst, I will then just mention Catastrophe on Amazon. A very funny show about an American man who uh, meets a woman when he's in London and they sleep together and she gets pregnant and he decides he's going to stay and uh, be a parent. And it is very funny. Uh, and, uh, I'll throw out there Mozart in the Jungle too on Amazon, which is a very good show about, uh, classical music and the, the the symphony, symphony musicians in New York and has a, it, it, 
I, there's almost no way I can describe it that won't make it sound boring. It is very funny. <laughs> it is off kilter. It is uh, not snooty at all. There is like you'll learn in the first episode which guy in the orchestra is the one you go to to buy drugs. It's that kind of show. And it's got a fun performance by uh, Malcolm McDowell as the deposed former conductor of the orchestra and a spectacularly good form- performance by Gael Garcia Bernal as the maestro of the orchestra, who is just, I love every minute he's on screen. He's It's such a great bizarre performance as he's very creative and does weird things and everybody's like well it's the maestro he just does what he does and it's yeah it's a it's a legitimately uh hilarious show so people should check that one out i've talked about it a lot with tim goodman over on the talk machine and it it really you know for people who love slings and arrows which is one of my favorite shows of all this is the same kind of it's it's behind the scenes of creative people being creative yeah. and the the struggle with how how do they exist in the world and still be creative and you know it's it has it's it's not the same sense of humor it's not it's not slings and arrows 2.0 but if you like the one you will probably like this too thus ends the uh not a draft listing of shows that you should probably watch if you are looking for shows to watch cuz we liked all those shows and we mentioned them it's very positive of us. We're not mm-hmm. we're not carting out shows that like we don't like. We're it's just all the good stuff. I don't think we watch shows that we don't like. Right? Like, like we well, prob- we usually we usually today. stop. Right? Yeah. There's too many good shows. It used to be you'd watch mediocre mm-hmm. shows because you were you ran out of good shows, and there you cannot run out of good shows now. Okay, we're gonna fire off the spoiler horn and talk about season six of Game of Thrones now. <laughs> Right, season six game of thrones so last season of game of thrones was kind of a downer kind of a downer lots of bad stuff kind happened of? it was dark things were bad on this show a downer a little bit of a bummer with all the terribleness that happened in it but this mm-hmm. season uh was different for game of thrones i thought i spent the entire season talking about every single episode uh all but John, actually, uh, of the, of those of us who who were here, and David, who doesn't count because he didn't watch, uh, were on TV episodes about Game of Thrones with me, or not with me. In the case of Aline, you were on with Brian, yeah, right? I was on with Brian. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it all connects. It all interconnects. John prefers to wait and ponder season six of Game of Thrones, like every season. And so I guess I should start with John. Um, and and uh, if people want to hear what I had to say about Game of Thrones season six, hey. There's 10 episodes of, or eight episodes of the TV podcast where I talk about eight episodes of it. John, what do you think of uh, season six of Game of Thrones? We'll start with you. I don't know if this season was, you just framed it as like, oh, it's not as big of a downer as the previous season because bad things do happen. But I think every time we talked about the show, in the beginning, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about the book. I, you know, and I'm think I'm very early on made the jokes about like, boy, winter is coming. Sure, taking a long time to get here. That stopped being a joke like a season and a half ago. It's like seriously, is winter coming? How slow do the White Walkers actually walk? Are they just loitering outside the wall? Um, but I think the reason this season was so satisfying to everybody is because all those story threads and all of that stuff finally, finally looks like. We're actually getting payoffs for things like they actually allowed two Starks to meet each other. It was like <laughs> it was like a miracle. It was like, how can that even how can that even happen? How can look they're hugging like it's just miraculous. And 
really this season was kind of more of the same chess piece moving and then one big episode in the middle to to punch you in the gut the door episode Mm. and then a huge finish a huge finish i think those last two episodes combined are better than most of the movies i've seen in the past several years both in terms of how satisfying it was you can imagine this as like the second or third movie in a trilogy those two episodes and all the other seasons compressed down just to the good parts to have a couple of just fantastic finish and so like that's a good strategy for during a tv season by the way we forget about all the little small chess piece moving in tiny little scenes here and there in the early part of the season if it all comes together in the end and things happen and things move and even though those poor White Walkers are still going, even though those ships are still sailing across the sea, <laughs> enough happened that we all just settled down. I felt like after the season and said, ah, that's the stuff. <laughs> Jason Monty and I didn't really have much nice to say about that penultimate episode where they're fighting uh, the Boltons. But I, I said nice things. You said you nice, guys things, didn't listen. To nice things. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't even John you make a great point I didn't even think about comparing it to a movie Uh, that sounds really dumb but honestly when I go to Game of Thrones I want the plot I want things to happen not much happened in that episode plot wise except for like the incredible ending and honestly I didn't even think about comparing it to something like the Two Towers or Return of the King where so much of those movies are fighting that you just kind of get plot thrown in sprinkled throughout and it made a lot more sense comparing it to a movie in terms of uh, the scale that we get and the budget that they're allotting to so thank you for that they they held the the battle back like they held like a lot of times it's people talking and people thinking about things or whatever but like that's the the seasons that tend to be unsatisfying is a lot of those people having conversations and and different sort of political maneuvering but it doesn't culminate in anything or maybe it culminates into a single murder which blends into the background on game of thrones with all the other incidental murders that go on this (laughs) all these moving around and moving pieces culminates in a final clash of the pieces that had been aligned. And you're right, like the the Battle of the Bastards, the, the reason I think that worked for me so well is, A, this is a big thing that's been coming for a long time. We need to actually have it resolved instead of just having people just do something and go off in different directions again. And B, I thought it was an amazingly well-done battle scene. I thought it was as good as any sort of mud-and-blood battle scene in medieval you know, fantasy settings that I'd seen in a movie in years and years. And this is a TV show. Just phenomenally well done because you care about the characters that you can tell what's going on the whole time it has interesting shots that you didn't expect it's not just a a, a bunch of cliches and yes there's enough silliness with a person who doesn't know how to zigzag when he runs and some you know (laughs) things that don't make a lot of sense in terms of uh, how confident someone could be that their plan would go off as expected but all that you know just like i needed that i after seasons and seasons i needed to see a big gigantic battle between forces that had been going towards each other for a long time to be resolved decisively in a single episode there was a winner there was a loser the big banner comes down on the side of the building yes you know i am i am the queen of of not needing a big battle scene i will never say that that's something i need and i always get bored i am the first person to say i am bored with battle whether it's a gunfight or a sword fight doesn't matter however i actually was pretty darn okay with that battle in with the battle of the bastards it uh i i do think that it went on too long for my taste but not by nearly as much as i expected and i quite liked a good chunk of it because it 
it didn't do that thing that so many shows of this type do, does and, and game of thrones has done it in the past is like glorify battle make it look like you know this is such an epic thing and look at these sweaty men swinging their swords around and slow motion and isn't it a beautiful <laughs> wonderful thing all this testosterone no it made it look terrible and terrifying all of these like super fast quick cuts um from from place to place you can't actually tell what's going on that's exactly what it would be like in the middle of a battle you wouldn't be able to tell what's going on i felt like it it that scene more than any of the other battles on the show kind of gave me a feeling for what it would be like to be in this situation and to be you know trampled under almost right several hundred people trying to get away I have to say, I had the interesting experience of watching this with my girlfriend who had during, we were watching the season together and then she moved to India about halfway through the season. And so it turns out in India, they actually show it live on TV sponsored by like Amazon India, like not even on premium, just like on the like broadcast, except India being a slightly more conservative country they cut a bunch of stuff out as they're showing it like a lot of the super gory stuff so we're watching it and i was just you know watching this episode going "Ooh, ah like yeah. and she's like what i don't even know what you're seeing right now <laughs> so i was like i i'm surprised that episode was not just five minutes long at that point because it felt like it was all pretty gory um but i i think from a larger perspective what i found really good about the season which i think we obviously have to acknowledge is the fact that we're basically you know, we're beyond the the pale when it comes to these books because we're off the map, right? Like, you know, those of us who have read the books, um, to a certain extent, the plot was hamstrung by needing to follow where the books were, you know, insofar as they could. And so I think this is what a really good example for this, um, to my mind, was was it last season with the Hard Home episode? Mm-hmm. Like, that was an episode that basically took something that did not happen, at least on screen in the books, and just fleshing that out and being able to sort of give a chance for the the TV show to do its own thing. Uh, and then basically, I think, you know, what we saw this season was in large part that sort of, I premise, written writ large, which was, hey, free reign. You know, we kind of, we yeah, we know where George is going with the story, but we basically get to do what we want to do and set up a bunch of stuff. Um, and, and I think having that freedom to set stuff up and, as John said, pay it off by by you know structuring it in such a way that things that happen this chess piece moving eventually results in something which you kind of need to do in a TV show right like you can't just string it out forever people do get bored and stop watching things unless you're me and watch 12 seasons of supernatural but other than me most people get dull you know get kind of bored if there's no if there is no payoff and so i think that is actually probably to the biggest credit of this this last season is the fact that they haven't had to follow a blueprint note by note feeling like, oh, the fans will be so disappointed if it doesn't do this and this and this. Instead, they just said, you know, what? we're going to we're going to tell our story. We're going to tell it like it's a TV show and not like it's a, you know, a translation from a novel. And I think that worked to great effect for them. So kudos to the, the showrunners for, you know, taking the, the road less traveled by, I guess. And they paid off things from the previous season, too. Like you mentioned payoffs like they set up enough stuff early in the season to pay off here, but they were paying off things from past seasons. Like, I mean, the the whole thing with Cersei and, and the, the mean nuns, like you watch that season, you're like that mean nun boy, Cersei's going to, going to do something terrible to that mean nun. And it's like, and season ends. It's like, but what about the mean nun? Uh, 
pay it off. You know, the Infinity Salesman guy, he's really annoying. And he does lots of stuff in the previous season. And then the season ends. And you're like, but, but, and the season paid off. Uh, so it, it, it's the advantage of coming, I assume, in the latter half of how many more seasons? Two more? Two more. Something Two more like shorter, shorter seasons. Yeah. Uh, the advantage of coming towards the end is that you finally get to resolve these things. And I think we will look back on the middle seasons as a uh, a tough period to get through uh, to get to what I hope is just an increasing amount of really big payoffs. I mean, they've got a lot of big, a lot of big sets of uh, chess pieces moving around this board towards each other. We already had these two big, a big battle and a big explosion at the end. And I hope it's just more of that. Well, when it comes to payoff, I mean, I talked on the TV episode we did about this, about how dissatisfied I was and how upset I am with Game of Thrones for continually doing the let's kill off every single main character that was pertinent to this season in the season finale. I wish that they stopped doing that because it feels like a cop out. Why would we spend all of these, all of this time with these characters only to have them die in a completely unceremonious way and it's great for shock value but it really doesn't feel like a good arc for anybody involved and then you know jason mentioned something on that tv episode about how um about how they're not necessarily important to any of the character uh, arcs but much more for the arc of the uh, kingdom and series as a whole so that kind of payoff uh feels very mixed in terms of these character moments at, while also moving the plot along ridiculous lengths there's so many characters, though, I feel like killing off characters is fun with me. Like, as, as sad as I am <laughs> and, and that, like, yep. Marjorie, the Marjorie got uh, wiped out because I really like her. Um, I felt like the High Sparrow, I didn't need to see any more of him. This is how he got taken out. That's the end of his story. Loris, you know, he was fine, but he's a minor character. Uh, Uncle Kevin Lannister, you know, the, the other characters <laughs> in there, I kind of didn't care about. The only, one, the only one that was a bummer, I just love that there's a guy named Kevin. I know it's spelled with an A. It doesn't matter. It's Uncle Kevin. Do you do a Home Alone thing every time? Kevin! So, yeah, Marjorie, Marjorie Dying's a bummer, but uh, at the same time, I don't know, a lot of characters, and in the end, the payoff here was seriously taking out some of her uh, her enemies, and that's going to happen in Game of Thrones. I, I, I much would much rather see more people die than more new characters introduced at this point with Game of Thrones. Well, you got you to got, you winnow down, right? I mean, like yeah. you said, like, I think this late in the game, not everyone's going to make it out alive, obviously. <laughs> So will anyone to start? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's my question too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I feel like at this point, if you're going to tie up everything, there are probably a lot of people where the easiest way to tie them up is if they're dead, right? Like if they don't struggle <laughs> as much. I guess this got dark. That's one of the things that drew me to the show in the beginning. Not having read the books is like, I mean, it's it's playing against type and against the the tropes of fantasy novels where you have the heroic character who you know is going to uh, face many dangers, but in the end become triumphant. And in Game of Thrones, they they die a lot and it's the sort of the the, the true to life nature of like when you read a history book uh you read about whoever it was that survived world war ii and went on to to be a congressperson and eventually became president of the united states but if you go back in time and are living through it and you look at all of the different men in the same situation who went off to war or whatever you can't tell which one of them is going to live through the war and become a congressman and become elected president of the United States. You just, they all look the same from this perspective. And so you're wondering like, which one is going to make it through like this, the great filter or whatever. Um, and if you're watching Game of Thrones and not having read the books, as these people die off, you're like, yeah, because that, that's kind of what it'd be like. You don't like the most heroic or, or bravest or strongest or most noble character. There's nothing keeping them alive in real life. They, you know, how many people die in wars and we never know anything more about them. And so you start trying to pick out characters early on in the seasons. I was like, is Arya going to be the one who lives for a really long time? It's like, well, 
seems highly unlikely, but, you know, and they weren't showing her that much. And, like, uh, try, trying to pick out which Starks were going to live, like, obviously with <laughs> the, the Rob head fake. But then it's like, but Jon Snow, he's kind of you know, moody and like, is that, is that we're hanging everything on that. And Sans is a nitwit. And like, <laughs> you're just trying to figure out who's, who's going to make it through. And you realize as the show goes on, they don't make it through because of who they are. They become who they are because they made it through, which I think yeah. is, is something so charming mm-hmm. about this. Sh- weird to call it charming, but so charming <laughs> about the show that like, that, that it refuses to, to like retcon itself to say, oh, it was always clear from the beginning that Jon Snow would be the hero of the whole story. That wasn't clear at all. Like, and I mean, he, he did die. You know, we, he did, not only it, it, wasn't it clear that he was going to do it, he actually did die. He just, you know, got out of get out of jail free card. He got, he got, he got, he got better. Yeah. yeah, he was only mostly <laughs> dead, John. Yeah. At this point in the show, I. I, it's conditioned me, I think, just to losing characters. I honestly cannot think of any character right now that I would be truly heartbreaking, heartbroken to lose. Like Arya, Tyrion. Oh God, no! I I would be happy to see Arya get off. Frankly, oh, no, yeah, no. It, I will. I will have a one-person riot. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> two I, people. I will not be joining that riot. Even the characters, even the characters I really like, I I still feel like well. I I would be all right with it if they if they went because that's just the way the show goes. The only characters that I I would say I never thought they were going to die because they they seemed so. It's not it's not the idea that the story is anybody can die. It's like sometimes there are characters that if they died at a certain point you'd be like why did I watch them all this time because like nothing happened there and so that's why I always thought like Daenerys is gonna do something right. I mean ever ever since she came out of uh, you know when they put the crown on her the golden crown on her brother and killed him right at that point it's like okay she's she's gonna make it because why are we following her all around if it's like hey there was yeah. this there was this girl over in in the in the east and she was gonna be a a, a queen in westeros and oh and then she died um like why would we do yeah, that she, she's out there on her own like if you're if you are away from other characters then if you die your <laughs> entire chance. thread of the story disappears yeah. so it's difficult to, to pick them up but when when you're in the mix, it's easy. I mean, I guess uh, Jon Snow, I felt like, yeah, he was separated from everybody, but I felt like he could have been separated to, you know, oh, we send him off to the wall and that's where he died. I felt like the lesson, uh, the lessons we learned about the world and uh, him ranging north of the wall and being the only character of real note who could, I mean, I, I didn't think they were going to pivot and say, well, I guess it's all about the Onion Knight now, right? And I love him. He's my favorite <laughs> character. But it was like, it felt to me like even when I read the book, too, and they killed Jon Snow, it's like, yeah, that his story's not done. He's going to be back. But those are exceptions to the rule. In most cases, like, you know, as much as I really liked Marjorie as a character, Marjorie's death is very important in terms of Cersei. And she's a very important character. And so I, I kind of get that. But it's true. Again, it's the law of economy characters again i would like to see fewer characters we're reaching the end game lots of people are going to die uh this is the moment where you don't introduce new characters uh the sand snakes whatever uh but they're, they're, oh come on oh, i, I like want them. more of them well they're, I mean, they're, 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 they're already here die, so, but you know yeah they're yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly right but but it's it's now it doesn't feel like we're introducing lots of characters and then killing them off and the bloodbath will continue indefinitely. Now it feels like we're in the end game and people are going to die, but they're going to die because the whole story is narrowing. Everything's coming together. And that's a different feeling to me than just like, uh, you know, random, just everybody just keeps dying randomly, which is not as fun because y- you don't get the sense like the story is progressing. Well, And when we get to the end, when we get to the whole end of this thing and we're getting close to the end now, you will be able to back solve and tell the tale of let me tell you about the heroic 
Arya Stark or the heroic Tyrion Lannister, whoever it is who ends up alive at the end and in a good position, you who no matter which of the characters lives who is who are currently alive, you will be able to construct a narrative that makes them the hero, and you could retell the whole story as the story of Tyrion. He came from adversity, and it looked like he wasn't going to make anything himself, but then he became king of the Seven Kingdoms. Or, but you know, they pick any character wherever they end up. They all you can always. You know, because they have all faced adversity and challenges and unlikely, you know, sure. uh, triumphs or whatever. And that, like, it's just so nice to see the story not told as if everyone already knows how it ends, but rather a bunch of people moving forward in time and a whole bunch of them don't make it. And it's mostly disconnected from how likable they are, how noble they are, uh, what family they're from, what advantages they had or didn't have in the beginning. It truly is kind of like, the weather of the world killing more or less indiscriminately based on bad luck and circumstance and things that people have no control over. And I like that. Uh, It reminded me reading the books. I always thought like they're so detailed and they, and they read so much like they would be a history in a way that um, I would always think, this is the point where I would go to Wikipedia and look up what happens to all these people later on in history. And you can't do it with a game of Thrones because it's made up. And that's, I think that's part of the appeal is that you just don't, you don't know where this is going. Although I will say again, it's a song of ice and fire. Uh, Daenerys and Jon Snow just saying seems pretty important, but you know, we'll see. We don't know. It could be brand brand Stark and Tyrion are, are there. They high five at the end. <laughs> that's how it ends. I don't know. I would, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Beers and high fives. Yeah. Guitar is going to be the. Uh, yeah, I just want to be the. I want it to be the young, the uh, lady Mormont. She's just the only one left. Yes, the uh, actually, she Gosh. is. She is the one character that I think I would be the saddest if she died. Yeah, out of no, anybody. she's great. She's pretty cool. She's pretty great. I this season was such an improvement over last season for me. I there were like three points last season where I was like, I'm not going to watch this anymore. And it was always, you know, the Sansa storyline. I thought was, Mm it it was brutal. Not, I thought it was brutal. It was brutal. Every time we got a female character, uh, a new female character who seemed like they had, you know, agency and the ability to make things happen and they could take care of themselves. They were like killed sometimes in the same episode. Uh, And I, I just, it made me Mm -hmm. so angry i was like what do these people have against women like what the writers not the people in the story what do the writers have against women and this season was i don't want to say it was redemptive but it was uh it was so much better and now we see sansa with agency and with like you know not deferring to the person who she thinks of as the head of her house she's like Okay, well, John, you're going to do this thing. I'm going to go do my other thing. And then, you know, we'll hope it works out. I'm going to speak up for myself. You know, the first seasons, it was all about being a lady and tending to her embroidery and doing what mother and father said. And, you know, I'm going to marry the king. And now she's like, no, that's this is this is not the path for me. I'm going to take care of myself. I've learned I need to take care of myself. And so I it was such a relief to me to have kind of that turnaround um, for women in in the story. Like, even Cersei, as awful as she is, she was treated <laughs> so, so poorly last season. And I was kind of glad to see the High Sparrow go up in flame. Mm-hmm. Like, um, <laughs> I don't think we, I don't, I think that he had an agenda. And I don't know that we'll ever know what his agenda was. And I do not think it was you know, honoring the gods. I think he was up to something. We may not know what that was, but uh, 
I've heard people say that this season was really weak, that the the storytelling was weak, and I patently disagree what? with that. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know who those oh people my. are, but they're full of That's, crap. That is crazy. I Yeah, I just want to give you a great big high five, Aline, because I felt the same way. I mean, after uh, Hard Home was the moment that I almost just gave up on the show. And honestly, anybody who did give up last season, I don't blame you because yeah. there was plenty, plenty of good reason to do so. But I, I am glad that I didn't, uh, even though I will probably never watch Hard Home again ever um i i'm glad that i didn't because i i got to see it's it's not just that the last few seasons were bleak because that's how narrative storytelling works you know darkest before the dawn but also yes that i don't know if they were paying attention to people's complaints or what or if they finally just got their heads out of their bums but yeah the women are, are have been written much much better this season and i mean you have you have episodes where it's just just the ladies talking to each other and being amazing i mean the, the throne room scene between danny and yara i just yes. i just wanted to stand up oh and run God. around the room yeah. and cheer it was because it, it wasn't overblown it wasn't overdone they didn't throw it in your face as much as they very, very well could have. Um, so, I mean, th- each character was still their own sort of dry, subtle self, and it just it played off of each other so well. So I, I think, I mean, really, when you look at it, all of the major power structures that we have in this world at this point have a woman at the top or very, very near to the top, which is not something I would have expected after the first few seasons of this show. So I'm I'm excited to see where it goes and, and hope that, you know, this trend continues of if the women aren't necessarily completely succeeding i want them to fail for good reasons or Mm -hmm. be you know overcome not because they are you know stupid or feminine or have some type of very gendered motivation like not being able to kill a a baby Baby zombie zombie. (laughs) (sighs) yeah as long as they can as long as they can go down fighting in whatever manner that happens to be for their character i'm good with that and hey we had more diana rig this season and if we can keep having more diana rig i will be happy no matter what i'd be sad if she died too but not like terrible. i really thought that she was gonna bite it at some point there but i'm glad Me she too. made it out alive marjorie got her out right she sent her little flower note for this yeah little note to get get on out grandma this guy you can't be here anymore uh yeah i like i liked it a lot i liked this season a lot i felt like like, like all of you have said they uh, were unburdened i th- i i kind of my pet theory is that i feel like they were honoring george R. R. martin and uh would include things that they might otherwise have left out and now that uh they don't have books to base on they've just got kind of a plot outline they're able to kind of make better decisions for television and it felt like it everything started picking up i felt the whole season really moved uh, a lot faster than last season even from the start there were a couple episodes of setup but the, the, i thought that there was a lot of plot advancement and and uh the story coming together at the end and hey after six seasons daenerys actually is like on a boat heading west that is uh progress i say Ooh. yeah if we were if we were still going by George's timetable, I don't even want. She would have gone like further. You know what? What is further west than Westeros? Let's find out. Let's spend some serious time. You know, they they in the books they say something about like to, there's a prophecy of like to go west you must first go east. And I thought, oh god, how far east does she have to go? She's like, no, 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 just keep sailing east. Maybe it'll wrap around. Yeah. Yeah. She's finding uh, she's finding the passage in India. Uh, you're gonna find that it's a Discworld, and then it's a huge crossover <laughs> event. That would be amazing. What if what if the Game of Thrones universe is just the other side of the disc? That's right, Discworld. <laughs> oh my god, Thrones. hold on, hold on, my head hurts. <laughs> Anything else about Game of Thrones season six? People want to throw out before we wrap it up. Well, they uh, we do. Should we discuss the? I mean, I'm sure it probably came up in the end of the uh, Game of Thrones cast too, but the uh, Jon Snow parentage. 
uh again mm. sort of like the reveal potentially yeah. of of something that's hung over the entire show basically i mean my favorite bit still being you know hey ned says i'll tell you about your mom next time i see you never again <laughs> never never <laughs> again no never, it's so sad that, and famously when george R. R. martin met with benioff and weiss the producers to uh talk to them about possibly making a show based on his books that's actually the qu- the question he quizzed them with which is who do you think Jon snow's parents are and they gave george R. R. martin the right answer which is lyanna stark and uh what rhaegar targaryen rhaegar targaryen yeah. yeah i just want to say that's why you leave a note by the way <laughs> yeah, to be opened in the in the event of my death. I'm hoping that that truth doesn't come out. Like we have we've been shown this because of Bran's vision, and that Bran either dies or never tells anyone he's alive, <laughs> and it's never mentioned again for the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah. And we just assume I, like that that's the total Game of Thrones thing to do because in many histories, like oh, someone actually did know that parentage, but they died before they could <laughs> tell anybody, or they never told anybody. The end. No, I think what's going to happen is like there's going to be a big like explosion or flames of you know something's going to go on fire, and Jon Snow is going to walk out of it totally naked and unburned, <laughs> and he's going to be like, "What the hell just happened?" And Bran's going to go, "Oh, did I not tell you you're a Targaryen?" <laughs> uh, is is that is that a recessive Targaryen gene, or is that like because because uh, what's his name? Uh, Daenerys's brother doesn't seem particularly heat resistant. No, not not to, not to molten gold. Anyway, it would have been pretty funny if he, if Jon Snow was all man. I totally should have let Melisandre set me on fire. I <laughs> oh. guess that was the right play. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, I don't know, but yeah, I, I suspect that that's going to come up. The, uh, the Jon Snow is. Uh, like the nephew of Daenerys, I think. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's right. He can he can marry his aunt. Yeah, well, the and the, we've told, been told the Targaryens actually do marry in their family, so they could totally mm-hmm. get married. That doesn't make it okay. That's how you get the Mad King, right? That is how yeah, you get a Mad exactly. King. Yeah, yeah. They, aren't we just back around? We're back around totally to like better. the same problem as before. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, totally better. History always repeats uh-huh. itself, you know. All right, and and uh, Tyrion getting uh, getting. I I thought it was a really sweet scene. The uh, the scene where Tyrion uh, kind of drops his guard as being the cynical guy and is like, "No, I believe in you." And she makes him the hand of the queen and all that. That was all just that's great that stuff. That was made me cry. Yeah, yeah. that I may have sealed Tyrion's up. fate as uh, someone who's not going to make it. Maybe once you once you drop the cynical that, facade, yeah. it's the only thing keeping you alive. Well, only with his, only with with her, with her, only with his queen. He's well, still he still got his his the love of his life too. I think Tyrion's got to have, uh, you know, he's got to get get Cersei. <laughs> I think I think that's he's gonna he's gonna meet his uh, brother and sister again at some point in a dramatic fashion. I think that has to happen. Yep. Yep. Where's Uncle Kevin? They what? <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't 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 make it to Thanksgiving. Blew up dinner. the set. <laughs> he was Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry, sorry, Kevin. Oh. All right. Well, onward to the next Game of Thrones season whenever it shows up, because apparently they've delayed filming, uh, they claim, because winter, is, winter not is not coming. Yeah. They need they need the skies to be gloomier so they can shoot the winter scenes in their locations. Uh, but it's been fun talking about Game of Thrones and many other shows with my panel. Um, and I will I will say again, there are 10 episodes of the TV podcast at theincomparable.com slash T. V T E E V E E that you can find uh, about every single episode of Game of Thrones this season if you would like to listen to those. Uh, thanks to my panelists for being on and talking television with us, taking time away from their busy television watching to be on a podcast about television. Dan Morin, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. I should go back to watching television now. 
David Lore, I know you've been quiet for the last little bit, but thank you so much for being on. Oh, anytime. I'm I'm excited to go back and watch all of season six now that I know what happened. Yes, exactly right. You just get caught up on the Game of Thrones. Brian Hamilton, thanks a lot for being here. I'd like to make it a true daily double. In the category of famous wolves, famous wolves. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, I'm sorry. The correct answer was... What is Shaggy Dog? What is Shaggy Dog? Oh, Shaggy Dog. R.I.P. Shaggy Dog. John Syracuse, thank you. A man waits patiently for the next season. (laughs) (laughs) Aline Sims, thank you very much. I've got Daredevil waiting for me. I gotta go. Oh, no. And Erica Ensign, thanks. Thanks a lot. As usual, you guys have made me feel like I'm not watching enough TV, so thanks for that. Come on, Erica. Get with the program. Come on. Get with all of the programs. Get with... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) M-M-E-S. It's British spelling for programs. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. We will see you next week. Goodbye.